Thank you for traveling with Amex Platinum. To your right, you'll see Oceanside Relaxation at a fine hotel and resort property. When booked through Amex Travel, you can enjoy complimentary breakfast for 2 and 4 p.m. late checkout. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball. From growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball. From Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. America's two great pastimes collide on this podcast. It is baseball and making money from the dog days of summer through the October Classic. Greg Bases Peterson's going to be free swinging at the betting board as he tries to hit a grand slam for your bankroll. Now here is GP. Hello, everyone. Welcome in to the Zinni to Heal Studios for MLB Overtime Betting. It is Greg Peterson coming at you once again, and we've got a tremendous show as Curtis Rogers of 710 ESPN, he does pre- and post-game work for the Seattle Mariners, is going to be joining me in the second segment. We're going to be talking about teams that might be buyers and sellers at the trade deadline. Just take a look at teams in general that are having a come-up, teams that are struggling a little bit. So that'll be a lot of fun in the final segment. I give you a side in total on every game on today's Las Vegas betting board and a little something I like to call touch them all. First things first, we got one question into the Twitter mailbag. As always, you can feel free to tweet them in at squirty one So let's get to it. So you have questions, and Greg may or may not have any insight into them, but let's dive into the Twitter mailbag. Luis Martinez at LuisM1324 as at squirty one Hey, GP, big fan here, and I appreciate it. Thank you. You always have all-star guests on the show, like Curtis Rogers, so he says thank you for me as well. Question, for the games that aren't posted until the next day, how early do they come out? Does it vary from book to book? As I'm trying to stay away from laying some juicy prices, if possible, and it does vary a little bit by book to book. What I do notice is that the earliest lines typically come out, I would say, 9 o'clock a.m. Eastern, 9.30-ish, somewhere in that range between the 9 and 9.30 a.m. Eastern range, which that is 6 o'clock to 6.30 a.m. Pacific time. 
That is, of course, as long as there are both pitchers announced the night before. If there is no pitcher really announced, you don't know who it's going to be like. With the Astros versus the LA Angels game on Tuesday, that's essentially when the pitcher is announced, that's when the line is going to be going up. So it's one of those things where if the pitchers are known the night before, count on it being in that 6 to 6.30 a.m. Pacific range. If there's nobody announced, well, you just need to wait for the announcement on that one. And obviously, always try to jump on those lines as quickly as possible. I see exactly where you're coming from because sometimes those lines get steamed and steamed heavily. So very good question there. And a big thank you to Luis for asking that. And now let's take a look back at yesterday's results. Try to find some trends and try to become better handicappers from it. What happened yesterday? Let's go around the bases and find out. The New York Yankees continue to be one of the better over teams out there in baseball and it was thanks to a touchdown scored in the eighth inning that they were able to knock off the Tampa Bay Rays by a count of eight to three. They get six runs in the eighth off of Colin Pooch, who really, I have no idea why the Tampa Bay Rays keep trotting him out there. He went one and two-thirds innings, giving up six runs, all of which were earned, including two home runs. You had Ryan Stanek, the opener, give up one run in two innings, a solo shot, and Jalen Beeks give up a solo shot as the bulk guy in three and a third innings as well as the New York Yankees continue to get a lot of power. D.D. Gregorius, his fifth home run of the year. Aaron Judge, his 10th. Edwin Encarnacion, his 28th. And D.J. LeMahieu, his 13th. And C.C. Sabathia also has had a problem giving up the deep ball. He gave up two home runs. Three total in six innings as Austin Meadows hit his 14th of the year and Yandy Diaz is 13th, but the New York Yankees also continue to have a great bullpen. Nestor Cortez Jr., David Hale, and Zach Britton all give a combined three innings of relief. The Tampa Bay Rays certainly have a good bullpen, but it just has not been going the way of Mr. Pooch so far this year. Two teams that are looking really bad with the bullpen right now, the LA Dodgers and the Philadelphia Phillies as a combined six runs in the ninth inning caused for a lot of excitement as the Phillies get a 9-8 win in this one. The Dodgers enter into the ninth inning down by a count of 6-5, to five, and then all of a sudden, they were able to get that big shot that was able to put them up. A Matt Beatty home run in the ninth inning, his third of the year, put them up by a count of 8-6, to six, and then you know what? Kenley Jansen winds up recording one out and giving up three runs in the ninth as this was just a rough one for Rocker Beeler. He goes six innings, the starter for the LA Dodgers. He gives up six runs, but only two of which were earned. He was hurt by a pair of errors out there in the field as he wound up giving up three home runs himself. Going deep for the Philadelphia Phillies in this one, Bryce Harper, his 17th home run of the year. Brad Miller, his third, and Scott Kingery, his 13th. As for the Dodgers, they also had some power bats going as well. A.J. Pollock, his fifth of the campaign. Jock Peterson, his 21st. Max Muncy, his 25th. And Cody Bellinger, his 34th to go along with that BD home run. But they just kept essentially hitting solo shots as they had seven hits in this game. And it turned out that five of them were home runs. As for the Philadelphia Phillies, they didn't get the start that they desired out of one Vince Velasquez as he gave up five runs, four of which were earned in four and two-thirds innings, including four of those home runs. And then from there, Hector Neris was the only one that really gave up anything out of the bullpen. He gave up that home run to Beatty, but the Philadelphia Phillies somehow, someway get the job done. And considering how cold they've been on offense, they'll take it any way that they can get it. The Washington Nationals are taking it in all sorts of ways with regards to wins as 
They have now won 29 out of their last 40 games. As they take down the Baltimore Orioles, 8-1 for the Washington Nationals. Matt Adams and Juan Soto both had home runs in this one for Adams' his 14th and Soto his 17th. A very good start out of Austin Voth as well. Six innings pitch. He gives up just one run. That one run that he gave up was a solo home run to answer Alberto, his fifth of the year. But the Nationals continue to have their bullpen working. Javi Guerra and Tanner Rainey, a combined three innings out of the bullpen, did not give up a single run. They're clearly improving in that regard. And for the Baltimore Orioles, Asher Wojcicki is not really showing a lot of promise for them. He once again takes a loss. Five and a third innings. He gives up three runs, all of which were in, including two home runs. He's now 0-3 with a 574 ERA. And everyone that entered into the game for the Baltimore Orioles on the mound had an ERA of a 5-2-4 or higher as the bullpen wound up going a combined three and two-thirds innings, giving up four runs. Needless to say, not a ringing endorsement there. The Boston Red Sox... Thought they were getting a ringing endorsement when they brought in Andrew Kasher, but his first start did not go as planned as the Toronto Blue Jays got to him hard, and they get a 10-4 win for Kasher, the most profitable pitcher out there in the big leagues. Well, we're not going to be seeing those big plus prices on him anymore as, as a big favorite. He goes five innings in this one, gives up six runs, five of which were earned, including two home runs, and then the bullpen in the ninth inning really imploded as Heath Embry wound up not being able to get a single out, and he gave up three runs in the process. Meanwhile, Ryan Weber wound up giving up a run while finishing out that inning. As for the Toronto Blue Jays, their pair of home runs came off the bat of Justin Smoke and Teoscar Hernandez for Hernandez is ninth of the year, and Justin Smoke is 15th. For Jacob Giesepack, I hope I'm saying the last name correctly, not a good start for the Toronto Blue Jays. Four and two-thirds innings, he gives up four runs, all of which were earned, but the Blue Jays' bullpen, ever since the All-Star break, has looked much better. Four and a third innings from them, they do not give up a single run. As for the Boston Red Sox, they were able to get a home run out of Xander Bogarts his 21st of the year, but past that, they weren't really able to get to that bullpen, so a tip of the hat to the Toronto Blue Jays for getting the job done there. The Miami Marlins continue to be quite the profitable team. They are now 25-26 and 26 in their last 51 games, and considering you're pretty much always getting them as an underdog, that is pretty darn good, and they take down the San Diego Padres by a count of 12 to 7. I thought that there was going to be regression coming for Logan Allen after he had two good starts, and you know what? We were right. Two and a third innings. He gives up seven runs, all of which were earned. Luis Perdomo out of the bullpen. Three and a third innings. He gives up three runs. And then you add from there, Robbie Erlin and Gerardo Reyes wind up going a combined two and a third innings, and they give up a combined two runs. As for the Miami Marlins, they were able to get a pair of home runs in this one. Garrett Cooper is 11th of the year, and Brett Anderson is 13th. And for the Padres, they also were able to get some good offense going. Famio Reyes, he hits his 26th home run of the year, and Manuel Margot, his sixth. Those both came off the bullpen of the Miami Marlins as Jordan Yamimoto, another decent start. Five innings pitch. He gives up three runs, two of which were earned. He now has a 159 ERA and six starts. Then you add from there, Eliza Hernandez give up a run in two innings. And then Adam Conley in the ninth inning wound up giving up three runs. But by then, the Miami Marlins were up by so many runs that the game was in hand. The New York Mets wind up actually getting some good bullpen pitching, and they take down the Minnesota Twins by a count of 3-2. to two. Steven Mets winds up going four innings in this one. He gives up two runs, both of which were earned. He was in the bullpen for a bit, so I think that they wanted to pace him. And you had from there a combined six relievers give a combined five innings for the New York Mets without giving up a run. Someone called the papers. Now, Edwin Diaz 
had a little bit of a hairy time in the ninth inning as the bases got loaded, but he was able to evade danger. And for the New York Mets, they weren't really getting the power bats going. One of five with Ben in scoring position, and they left five on base, but they were able to do just enough to get this win as Michael Pineda wound up having a little bit of a tough first inning. He gave up two runs, and in total, he goes six innings, giving up three runs, but only one of which was earned. He wound up getting hurt by an error out there in the field. And then from there, the Twins' bullpen certainly looked good, going three innings, giving up no earned runs. But for the Minnesota Twins, they just really didn't have the offense going. They leave 10 on base, one of nine with Ben in scoring position. Really, the big form of offense they had was Jonathan Scope hitting his 15th home run of the year. As it seems like the Twins' bats are starting to go a little bit cold. The White Sox bats are as cold as ice ever since the All-Star break, and they get shut out by the Kansas City Royals by a count of 11-0. Pretty remarkable that the Royals were able to cover the total all by themselves, and Glenn Sparkman, who has been atrocious on the road, actually seems to be a guy that you could trust at home. A complete game. He winds up giving up five hits in the process, 116 total pitches. Very good showing there for the Kansas City Royals. He had Whit Merrifield and Hunter Dozier go yard for Dozier, his 14th home run of the year, and Whit Merrifield is 12th. As Dylan Cease should cease to exist out there in the Chicago White Sox rotation. He goes six innings, giving up six runs, four of which were earned. He's a good up-and-coming prospect, but might not be his time. Dylan Covey, who wound up making a start for the team a little bit ago, he has been relegated to the bullpen. He gave up a run in an inning, and Josh Osage really let the levies break. He was the gentleman that cost me my under, as he gave up four runs in the eighth inning, so thanks for nothing. And for the White Sox, they were only able to muster five hits. This is a team that really needs some bats to get going, and they need them to get going quickly. The Pittsburgh Pirates did not have their bats going on Tuesday, but they were still able to muster a 3-1 to win over the St. Louis Cardinals. Dario Agrazil, another good start and a guy that you might want to look to back. Six innings pitch, he gives up one run. And then from there, you had Francisco Lariano, Felipe Vasquez, and Richard Rodriguez all given an inning out of the bullpen. They didn't give up a single hit, so they were flawless there. And for the Pittsburgh Pirates, they were able to hang a two-spot in the ninth inning to get the job done. You have to give Jack Flaherty a lot of credit, though. Perhaps he's starting to turn things around. In each of his past two starts, he's now went seven innings, giving up one run. Just a tough luck, no decision guy in this one because he certainly did his part as Carlos Martinez in the ninth inning wound up giving up those two runs for a St. Louis Cardinals bullpen that has been pretty good, but the St. Louis Cardinals are averaging right around three and a half runs per game ever since the beginning of June. So those bats are clearly cold. The bats of the Texas Rangers certainly were cold on Tuesday as well as they lose to the Arizona Diamondbacks by a count of 9-2. The Texas Rangers just continue to struggle against left-handed pitching, and Alex Young certainly is that for the Diamondbacks. He goes five and a third innings, giving up just one run in the process. That one run was a solo shot that Joey Gallo wound up clubbing. That is his 22nd of the year, and for the Arizona Diamondbacks, the bullpen certainly did its job, three and two-thirds innings, giving up just one run in the process. And for the Diamondbacks, they were able to get a home run off the bat of Guillermo Vargas. That was his fifth home run of the year. And for the Texas Rangers, Lance Lynn, his worst start in quite some time. This is a guy that has been money essentially since the beginning of May. He goes six innings, gives up five runs, all of which were earned, including that home run. And then out of the bullpen, things did not go as planned for Taylor Guerrero. I believe I said that last name correctly. He gives up four runs while recording an out. He now is an ERA of a 108. Needless to say, an ERA of a 108. Not necessarily where you want to be. And you didn't want to be the Atlanta Braves on Tuesday either as they wind up just getting absolutely shellacked by the Milwaukee Brewers by kind of 13-1. to For the Milwaukee Brewers, 
Everything was working in this game, including the trio of home runs that they got. Lorenzo Cain is sixth of the year. Christian Yelich is 33rd. And Kesson here is ninth. As Brandon Woodruff continues to be one of the top 10 most profitable pitchers in the big leagues. Six and two-thirds innings. He gives up one run. That one run was a solo home run as the lone form of offense for the Atlanta Braves. Tyler Flowers hitting his eighth home run of the year, but Bryce Wilson, eh, just not a good start for him. He's made three starts now in the past couple weeks, two of which have been pretty blah. Four innings pitch in this one. He gives up four runs, all of which were earned, but there were a couple guys out there in the bullpen that actually had a worse day. Tuki Dusant goes at inning. He gives up two runs. And then how about Hey Oscar Yanoa? He gives up six runs in one inning of work, and Jerry Blevins also gives up a run in two innings for an Atlanta Braves bullpen that entered the night in the top six in regards to bullpen ERA. So obviously an issue there. Another massive issue is why in the world the Detroit Tigers continue to give Ryan Carpenter starts as the Cleveland Indians destroy the Detroit Tigers by a count of 8-0. to zero. Carpenter in this one, once again, not good. His ERA is now a 9-33 innings pitch. He gives up seven runs, all of which were earned. Give the Tigers' bullpen some credit. Blaine Hardy gave up a run in an inning, but they went a combined five innings, giving up one run after a rain delay, so they did a decent job there. But you also can give no credit whatsoever to the Tigers' bats. They got a grand total of one hit, as in this one, Zach Plesak got the start. He went three innings, and then the rain took over. Tyler Clippard gave up a hit on the bullpen, and that was it. They combined five innings from them, giving up one hit. And for the Cleveland Indians, Taylor Naquin went deep his eighth home run of the year, and Orlando Mercado is seventh as the Cleveland Indians all of a sudden are getting things going with their bats. They have scored seven or more runs in five out of their last eight games. Neither team in this game fall in that category as the Chicago Cubs get a 4-3 extra inning win over the Cincinnati Reds. The Reds were able to jump all over Alec Mills for three runs in the first inning. That was capped off by Eugenia Suarez home run, his 23rd of the year. But from there, Mills really was able to settle down. His first start of the year at the big league level, he goes six innings, giving up just those three runs. And then from there, Brandon Kitzler, Pedro Strope, Craig Kimbrell and Steve Ciszek do their job in ending a piece of relief, giving up zero runs. And for the Chicago Cubs, they were just able to play a little bit of deep ball in this one. Kyle Schwarber had the game-winning home run in the 10th inning, his 21st. Chris Bryant goes deep for his 19th home run of the year. And at the second base spot, the Chicago Cubs are getting some production out of Robel Garcia. His third of the year is for the Cincinnati Reds. Anthony DiScalfani, who has had a problem with the deep ball, gives up three runs in five and two-thirds innings, including two of those home runs. Rossiel Glacius gave up that game-winning home run to Kyle Schwarber in the 10th inning, but all in all, not a bad effort from them. Three and two-thirds innings, they give up just that one run. So the Reds continue to play unders as they are still hitting their unders at over a 60% clip. A team that is not hitting unders at that clip is the Seattle Mariners, one of the best over teams out there in the big leagues. And the Seattle Mariners wind up getting shellacked by the Oakland A's by kind of 9-2. The lone bright spot for the Seattle Mariners were Omar Tavares' two home runs, his 15th and 16th of the year. He got one in the second and the ninth inning. And Marco Gonzalez in this one, a man who had been pitching a little bit better for the Mariners, he got crushed. Six innings pitch, he gives up six runs, all of which were earned. The A's have now won right around 73 or so percent of their games in which a left-handed starter goes on the mound. And Max Olsen and Matt Chapman had the two home runs for the A's in this one. For Olsen, his 20th of the campaign. And for Chapman, his 22nd. It's Daniel Megden. He gave up a home run early to Omar Navarro, but that's all he gave up in seven innings. Lou Trevino gives an inning strong, and then Blake Tryon gave up a home run as well. But all in all, 
very good effort there for an Oakland A's team that I believe has now won 19 out of their last 25 games. It's absolutely insane. Something else that's absolutely insane, the San Francisco Giants and the way that their offense is going. I believe that they have now scored six or more runs in eight out of their last 12 games, and they've won 10 out, and they've won 11 out of their last 13. They take down the Colorado Rockies 8-4 to four in 10 innings. They get a four spot in that 10th inning, and it was Mikey Stromsky who had the lone home run in this game, his seventh of the campaign. That game in the ninth inning, as it looked like it was an insurance run, but the Colorado Rockies were able to get three in the ninth just to force extras as going deep in that ninth inning was Ian Desmond, his 12th homer on the air, and Trevor Story, his 21st, as Will Smith looks to be struggling out there in the bullpen for the San Francisco Giants. Gave up a home run in the L-Star game, and he gave up three runs out of the pen in this one. And Drew Pomerantz, actually a good start. He winds up giving up one run in five innings, and then you had Trevor Gott, Tony Watson, Sam Dyson, and Mark Melanson all provide an inning of relief. And for the Colorado Rockies, their bullpen pitching is leaving something to be desired. Peter Lambert, actually a good start in this one. Six innings pitch, he gives up two runs. But then you had Scott Ober give up a run in his inning. Chad Bettis gave up a run in his. And Wade Davis just blew this game. He recorded one out, gave up four runs, three of which were earned. Now is a 6.04 ERA. Just absolutely shocking for a guy that was one of the best in the league. And we've got one game that's going on as I'm recording this, but I have to get this up by midnight Pacific as it is the LA Angels all over the Houston Astros at this point by a count of 7-2. Hector Rondon got the start for the Houston Astros and it did not go as planned. He records two outs and he gives up six runs in the process, all of which were earned. From there, you actually had some decent pitching from the Houston Astros as right now they went seven and a third innings, giving up one run. Ragiello Amarentros, I hope I'm saying that correctly, went four innings while giving up just one run, and that was an unearned run. Chris Savinsky gave four outs as well. And for the Houston Astros, they were able to get two RBI out of Tyler White, and they've provided 11 hits so far. They're just not getting them in as they've left 12 on base through the first eight innings that are 2 of 15 with Ben in scoring position. And for the LA Angels, they were just able to rip the cover off the ball in that first inning. And Andrew Heaney delivered a... Decent start, though he didn't deliver much length. Four and a third innings, he gives up two runs, but he jacked up his pitch count to 103. From there, the Angels have provided three and two-thirds innings of relief to be able to help out the cause. So what did we all learn in Major League Baseball on Tuesday? The Philadelphia Phillies and LA Dodgers having serious bullpen problems at this point. The Tampa Bay Rays should not be throwing Colin Pooch out there to enter a game ever. The Baltimore Orioles bullpen looking very, very bad, but the Washington Nationals continue to be white hot. Ryan Carpenter is a guy that you must bet against at all costs, but the Cleveland Indians look to have things going with their bats. Perhaps Andrew Kasher will not be as profitable with the Boston Red Sox as he was with the Baltimore Orioles. The Miami Marlins are continuing to be a profitable team. Meanwhile, Logan Allen of the San Diego Padres not getting the job done. The Texas Rangers still the most profitable team at home so far this year in baseball, but they are not hitting lefties very well. The Chicago Cubs continue to win nearly 65% of their games at home, and the Cincinnati Reds continue to cash unders. The Atlanta Braves certainly have some issues whenever... Bryce Wilson takes them out. The New York Mets might be getting some decent bullpen pitching, or perhaps the Minnesota Twins might be just cooling down with their bats. The Chicago White Sox are ice cold with their bats. Meanwhile, the Kansas City Royals appear to be getting good starts from Len Sparkman at home. The Pittsburgh Pirates may have found their starter in Dario Agarazil, and perhaps Jack Flaherty is getting online for the St. Louis Cardinals. The San Francisco Giants continue to have their offense online, and the Colorado Rockies Their offense is both cold and they're in a little bit of a funk. The Oakland A's remain white hot and the Seattle Mariners just continue to have no bullpen pitching whatsoever themselves. And the LA Angels have now won 
nine out of their last 12 games. And in nine out of their last 12 games, they've scored at least six runs as well. So the offense very hot there. So that was Tuesday. Now let's flip the page forward to Wednesday. Let's talk a little bit about what we might be seeing the next week in the trade deadline. Let's talk about the MLB landscape in general. And let's have some fun. And no better man to do that than Curtis Rogers of 710 ESPN out there in Seattle. And that's right here on MLB Overtime Betting. Greg is going to the bullpen as he makes a call to the Azunia Hotline. And we are back here on MLB Overtime Betting. Greg Peterson coming at you from the Azunia Tequila Studios out here in lovely Las Vegas. It is a great pleasure to have on our next guest. He has joined me so many times this year, and it is always nice to have him on because he does pre- and post-game work for the Seattle Mariners out there with 710 ESPN out there in Seattle a man that I have had the great pleasure of being able to work with in Portland, Oregon, back when we were there a couple years ago. You can follow him on Twitter at a kid from Kent. He is one of the sharpest minds that I know in baseball, and he is joining me right now. Curtis, how are you doing today? Doing great, Greg. Thanks for having me on again. Always look forward to our chats every now and then. Yeah, I mean, we're nearing the trade deadline, so lots lots to get to. Oh, absolutely, and the trade deadline is going to be made so interesting because right now in the National League, you essentially have two teams out of the fold. The New York Mets and the Miami Marlins are teams that I don't think are going to be able to make the postseason, but just about everyone else is in it. We see the San Francisco Giants all of a sudden get just hellaciously hot. The Milwaukee Brewers are sliding, but they're still in it. You've got even a team like the Pittsburgh Pirates that are within shutting distance. The St. Louis Cardinals. What do you make out of this National League wildcard picture in general? Because... The word wild is very, very appropriate for it. It absolutely is. We talked about it, just how many teams are still in the National League playoff race. It's pretty much everybody from Cincinnati on up. I mean, I still wouldn't even count out the Mets, so to speak. I mean, they're just five and a half out of the wild card picture in the National League. But you look at the team atop the National League wild card, and it's the Washington Nationals who have been probably the hottest team in baseball over the last month or so. I think they're like 30 and 12 or something in their last 40 something games. And I mean, that's just a, an incredible pace they're on. I don't know if they can sustain it, but you look at the preseason expectations for the Nationals, it was like what they are playing like right now. It took them a while to get to that level of play, but I think they're there. And, you know, it's interesting that the Nationals overtook the Phillies recently, you know, the team that got Bryce Harper in the offseason, and a lot was made of, you know, how would the Nationals replace Bryce Harper's productivity, but they haven't really skipped a beat over the last month or so. And, you know, you look at the National League race, it, it is so wide open. And I think that's what makes this time of year so great is because now we're starting to look at the playoffs and we're starting to look at how these teams can go about improving their rosters because we only get one trade deadline this year. There's no August waiver period. So when the 31st comes around, that's more or less what these teams are going to be like in the season's most important months of August and September. Oh, absolutely. As we do have Curtis Rogers joining me right here on the podcast. And we've already seen two big moves in regards to pitchers. You saw the Baltimore Orioles trade away over the weekend. Andrew Kashner to the Boston Red Sox. He makes his debut on Tuesday. And then you also had the chance to see Homer Bailey get traded from the Kansas City Royals literally minutes before he was supposed to start for them on Sunday. And he goes to the Oakland A's. Out of these two guys, which one do you think is going to be the bigger impact? Because both these teams are playing some pretty good baseball, and both are right there in the AL wildcard hunt. 
Yeah, it's interesting because Homer Bailey last year, as you you know pointed out a lot, he was just god awful. Put together the one Reds of the worst. won one of his starts. I think that there there were twenty four starts. I think they won one of them. Yeah, he, his record went one and fourteen a year ago. This year, a lot more respectable, seven and six with an ERA about four point eight. Goes to Oakland, a team that is so desperate for pitching once again. It, that just seems to be how they always are around this time of season. Andrew Kashner, to me, I look at him and you know his strikeout numbers don't exactly wow you, but to be able to have a record of nine and three with the Orioles. That says a lot about the kind of pitcher that he is. I could see him having a much bigger impact down the stretch with Boston than I think Homer Bailey could with the Oakland A's. But of those two moves, I think Kashner is the guy I think is going to have the bigger impact. I think the Red Sox are going to find themselves playing, I think, more big games than the A's will, even though you know you look at the wildcard race in the American League, the A's are two up on Boston for that spot. But, you know, you look at Boston, they're going to play a lot of games against the Yankees remaining. They got a lot of games against the Tampa Bay Rays remaining. I think Boston has the tougher road ahead and they're going to have a lot more opportunities to to prove themselves over the season's last couple of months here. What I do think is so interesting about this wildcard hunt is the fact that Boston, yes, they're going to have to play against the Rays and the Yankees a lot, but they're also going to get the Blue Jays who they're going to be playing on Wednesday and they're going to get the Baltimore Orioles a lot. You take a look at the AL West for the Oakland A's. You're going to have to go against the Houston Astros, the LA Angels, the Texas Rangers. You don't necessarily have that one big bomber team other than the Houston Astros, but you've got a bunch of teams that are more towards, I guess you could call it the middle. And then out there in the AL Central, a team like the Cleveland Indians, they get the chance to play against the Kansas City Royals, the Detroit Tigers, and the Chicago White Sox. Why take a look at it? It actually might be the Indians that have the easiest road. Yeah, I mean, that AL Central, it is so bad with the White Sox, Royals, and Tigers. You look at Cleveland, they're getting better. You don't know when Corey Kluber is going to come back, but when he does, that's going to be a tremendous lift to that starting rotation. A starting rotation that at the beginning of the season was certainly their biggest strength, but you got Kluber's injury, and then, you know, the unfortunate circumstances with Carlos Carrasco's leukemia diagnosis, you know, thoughts out to him and, and his family on that. You know, just a lot of unforeseen circumstances that the Indians have had to deal with this season. You know, Jose Ramirez's production dropping way off a cliff. But through all of that, they still have been able to stay afloat this season. They're 52 and 40. They're probably going to gear up to make a couple of moves here in the next 16 days or so, 15 days. But I think Cleveland right now is a team to watch out for in the American League Central. And you look at their recent track record, they've made a lot of deep playoff runs in the American League. And the team that's ahead of them in Minnesota, Minnesota's pretty unproven. Cleveland knows how to play this time of season. Minnesota doesn't, but I like the Twins. I think they have given themselves a much better head start to this season, and their offense has shown that they can put up runs on anybody. The Twins, their bullpen still their biggest issue, but there are going to be guys out there available that they can get help from. But like you said, don't sleep on the Cleveland Indians. Oh, not at all, as we do have Curtis Rogers joining me right here on the podcast. So I do think a lot of teams are now sleeping on your Seattle Mariners. Unfortunately, things have just gone completely south for this team. And it looks like on Wednesday, they actually are going to be facing Homer Bailey in his debut for the Oakland A's. 
Just what is the mindset right now of the Seattle Mariners? Because they've already traded away Jay Bruce. They've already traded away Edwin Encarnacion. I've got to think that there's going to be someone else on the move, whether it be a Marco Gonzalez, a gentleman that we saw pitch on Tuesday, whether it be perhaps a Mike Leak who we've thrown out there, and heck, even Domingo Santana, because right now I think the Mariners are just building up for 2020 and beyond. Yeah, there are a, a lot of those names you mentioned could very well be on the move. Mike Lake nearly was traded uh, around the same time as Edwin Encarnacion. I think the Mariners and Diamondbacks had a deal in place that would have sent Leak to Arizona. He put forth probably the worst start of his season, probably his career on Friday night, the game in which the Mariners were on the receiving oh. end of a combined no-hitter, where he gave up, I think, seven runs. And only I don't think he made it out of the second with. inning. No, and I mean, that's if you're the Mariners, that is not the kind of performance you want to see at this time of year. But I think teams know the kind of pitcher that Mike Leake is. He's a guy that can get you five, six, maybe even seven innings. He's not going to wow you. He's not going to you know strike out 10 guys or anything like that, but he is going to eat some innings. For a team that maybe needs a number five starter or a guy who can go in long relief in the postseason, that's a guy who I would circle as somebody who's very much available. The Mariners certainly looking to move him. You brought up an interesting name in Domingo Santana, and he's had a nice bounce back here at the plate. You know, with 19 home runs, really utilizing that opposite field power that he's got it in spades. Unfortunately, his defense has just been so awful this season, but it's come back a little bit after they moved him to right field. He hasn't made an error yet, and it's been about a month since he's been out in right field. But there's no guarantee that he's a part of the Mariners' long-term plans, especially when they look to contend in 2020 and 2021. You know, I don't know if Domingo Santana, by any stretch of the imagination, is an outfielder of the future for the Mariners. He is only 26 years old. He hit 30 home runs a couple of seasons ago with the Brewers. He's on pace for about that this year. And the Mariners are looking to restock that farm system. They're really looking to bring in young guys with any kind of trade they get. And I think Santana's asking price could very much be one of the higher ones on the team. And, you know, the Mariners are in a position to where they're looking to move a lot of guys. You know, Mike Leake being probably chief among them. D. Gordon is in that group as well. So for them to get young prospects around trade deadline time, I think that is the main goal for them over the next couple of weeks. Oh, absolutely. As we do have Curtis Rogers of 710 ESPN joining me right here on the podcast. And I do think the most intriguing team at the deadline now does become the San Francisco Giants. All of a sudden, I mentioned it before, this team wins 9 of 11. They're able to have some success out there at Coors Field. Because everyone thought that Madison Bumgarner was as good as gone. They thought he was going to be the big name that was going to be traded at the deadline. All of a sudden, the San Francisco Giants, as of Monday night, they're within four games of the wild card. It's absolutely insane what has happened with this team. They're right now at Coors Field. I don't know what's happening at Coors Field, but it feels like whenever you have bad pitchers pitching, it's like three to one games. And whenever you have a bunch of aces, it's going to be like 15 to 13. It's just essentially the baseball twilight zone at this point, but this is a San Francisco Giants team that I think is worth watching at this point because, dare I say, if they continue to win the next two weeks, they might be buyers. Yeah, I think so. And you look at their lineup, there's obvious needs offensively with you know, Kevin Pillar being, you know, the highest, you know, batting average bat you got. I think it's actually Pablo Gloria. Sandoval, punk kung fu panda sitting like two Yeah, that's true. Yeah, yeah. You you look at their lineup and it, it's guys who would have been great like 
three or four years ago, but now it's like, okay, well, I mean, Evan Longoria, definitely not the hitter that he once was. Brandon Belt, same thing. Brandon Crawford, also the same thing. But for whatever reason, they've been able to stay afloat. I think if you're the Giants and if they don't make any kind of, you know, big-time run here leading up to the trade deadline on top of the run that they've been on, I think then you can start to say, yeah, they're in sell mode. You know, you look at the, the moves that they've tried to make over the last couple of years. They're looking to get younger, but we've seen it so often that, like, championship and title and, and playoff windows, they only stay open for so long. And if it's open just a tiny bit, why not just fling that window even further open, get somebody who can help that cause out? When the Giants were at their best during the middle part of this decade, they would go out and make moves around the trade deadline time. Guys who were you know, big contributors to successful teams. We talked about Mike Leake a little bit ago. He was a guy that the Giants added. They added Carlos Beltran. They added Cody Ross. They added you know, so many of these guys that turned out to be great pieces, and, and they were able to help out and, and win you know, multiple World Series titles. You know, the Giants front office, I don't know if they're as aggressive now as they used to be when Brian Sabian was in charge. You got Farhan Zaidi, who comes over from the Dodgers organization. But you look at the Dodgers the last couple of years, they've been very aggressive around this time of year. So I think the Giants, like you said, they're going to be a very interesting team to watch because they're kind of in this middle ground right now. You've got a tremendous trade piece in Madison Bumgarner who's going to have teams lining up for his services if the Giants do, in fact, pull the trigger and pull the plug on what they've built so far. But also you look at their roster and there are some very obvious needs if they do go for it. And uh, they could be very aggressive. They've spent the last couple of years trying to build up that farm system. So they're going to be one of the more interesting teams to watch. I certainly do agree with you there. And then another interesting team, ironically enough, out there in the NL West as well, is going to be the Arizona Diamondbacks. They're hovering right around 500. I feel like they're doing much better than was anticipated. You trade away Paul Goldschmidt and A.J. Pollock before the season. Now Robbie Ray, a guy that's actually going to be pitching on Wednesday, is rumored to be perhaps on the trade block. But then perhaps if the Arizona Diamondbacks get on a run, they're going to be perhaps buyers as well. Who do you think is just going to separate themselves as buyers and sellers in the NL? Because... Right now, I can't make heads or tails out of almost any of these teams. Yeah, I mean, I would love it if so many of these teams went out and, and said, we're going to be buyers because, I mean, you look at the wild card race like we talked about, it's so close. Every team is just right there in it. I mean, you look at the Reds, they're just three and a half out of the wild card lead. And, you know, there's still five games under 500, but they're right there in it. I don't know if any team in the National League is going to be a seller, but if that, well, other than, say, the Marlins and Mets, you, know, you look at teams in the American League with so many teams in the National League saying, we're not going to sell, that opens up a lot of opportunities for those teams at the bottom of the standings in the American League to say, hey, this team right here, they may not be willing to sell, but we are. And you might be able to get a little bit more out of teams because so few teams in half of Major League Baseball aren't willing to sell, so that raises the asking price on some of the more valuable trade chips out there. So, I mean, you look at the National League, teams that I think could be buyers, certainly Milwaukee. You don't want to waste Christian Yelich's prime years and not have him in the postseason. They're just a half game out of the wild card race. 
you know, the Diamondbacks, like you said, they're a game out of the nationally wild card. I could see them as buyers. The Phillies, they spent so many resources this offseason trying to build a playoff team. They trade for JT Real Muto. They trade for Gene Segura. They signed Bryce Harper. And it hasn't gotten them much further than where they are right now. You know, they lost their last game 16-2 to to the Dodgers. So just getting blown out like that, not a good look for the Phillies who are you know, trying to tell their fans, like, hey, we're, we're going for it. I would imagine they remain aggressive and they try to go out and get some pitching. But other than that, in the National League, they're, we're in kind of wait-and-see mode with, like, the Rockies and the Padres and the Pirates and the Giants. Oh, I agree with you. We're right now in just a baseball holding mode at this point, and I think that things are going to get so interesting within the next two weeks, but something that is always interesting the shows that you put out there for 710 ESPN out there in the great city of Seattle, as it is Curtis Rogers joining me right here on the podcast. You are never sleepless, my friend. You are always doing some great work, whether it's Mariners post game, whether it's your sports night in Seattle podcast. Let the good people know where they can get a little bit more of you and where they can just hear more of your work. Yeah, uh, you can follow me on Twitter at a kid from Kent and then on Apple Podcasts or Google Play, Spotify, wherever it is you get your podcast. You can download Seattle Sports Night or Seattle Sports Saturday. It's there every hour of every show right there for you. Terrific. A big thanks to Curtis Rogers, a.k.a. Kid from Kent, for joining me right here on the podcast. And coming up next, it is that time that I give you a side and total on every game on today's Las Vegas betting board and a little something I like to call Touch Em All. Hey, I'm Steve Heitner, the guy who uttered the famous phrase, that's gold. And that's the inspiration of my new podcast, That's Gold with Steve Heitner. We talk sports, sports betting, movies, comedy, food, drink, Vegas, music, movies, and more. Five days a week. Did I say movies twice? Look, guys love it, whether they're hip or worried about breaking a hip. Find us on Apple and Google Podcasts, as well as Spotify and Stitcher. That's gold with me, Steve Heitner. Welcome back to MLB Overtime. Greg is throwing a gem, so yeah, he better not blow it. And a big thanks to Curtis Rogers of 710 ESPN and Mariners pregame for joining me in the last segment. As we're back here in the Azuni Tequila Studios for MLB Overtime Betting, now it is that time that I give you a side and total on every game on today's Las Vegas betting board, and I do so on a little something I like to call Touch Em All. If a game is listed on the betting board, Greg has a side and a total on it, so it is time to touch them all. Note that any changes that are made to these plays are going to be listed on my Twitter feed, at GUNNRSCORE81. With some of these plays, we are all locked in, good to go, bet on everything like that. Some of these plays were in wait-and-see mode, typically waiting on favorable line moves of sometimes lineup changes and sometimes just a starting pitcher in general. So I'll be keeping you guys up on that as I go along. And as per usual, we go in Las Vegas rotation order, which starts with 951-952 on the betting rotation. It is Pittsburgh Pirates on the road facing off against the St. Louis Cardinals. Daniel Ponce de Leon goes for the St. Louis Cardinals. Chris Archer for the Pittsburgh Pirates. Total on this game is 9. The under is juice of minus 115. The over is minus 105. If you're looking at the Buccos, going to be getting a plus price here between plus 118 and plus 120. Want to lay it with the Cardinals? That's anywhere between minus 128 and minus 130. Not going to lie, it's really hard to back Chris Archer at this point. 3-6 and six record, 542 ERA. He actually looked a little bit better in his last start against the Chicago Cubs, but still 21 home runs. 
giving up in 84 and two-thirds innings. That's right around 2.25 home runs per nine innings. He's issuing more than four and a half walks per nine innings. And then you take a look at Mr. Ponce de Leon. He's coming into some starts, some long relief appearances. He's done a little bit of everything. And he's done well at it. 1-0 record, 199 ERA. His last start against the Arizona Diamondbacks, six and two-thirds innings. He gives up just one run there. He had a start against the New York Mets back in June. Gives up one run in four innings in that one. And he gives this team a little bit of a jolt in the arm because let's face it, the St. Louis Cardinals certainly have not been generating a lot of offense so far this year. Certainly have not been generating a lot of offense this year. You've got Yadier Molina and Marcelo Zuno both on the injured list. This means that Paul Goldschmidt and Paul DeYoung have to carry the mail. These two guys have a combined 30 home runs, both hitting just above a 250. We got Dexter Feller hitting a 257 himself. Colton Wong is his average hovering right around 247. He gets stolen bases, but you don't have a lot outside of that. Taylor Edmond is hitting a 255. Tyler O'Neill now hitting just below a 300, which is nice, but then you've got Matt Wieters and Harrison Bader, both hitting below a 230. It's been a bad year for Matt Carpenter. And with the Pittsburgh Pirates, you actually do have a pretty darn good lineup. Josh Bell hitting just below a 327 home runs at 84 RBI for him. Colin Moran is hitting in the 290s. Corey Dickerson is hitting more around a 270 and Adam Frazier a 280. But then you've got Brian Reynolds hitting a 343. I know that Melky Cabrera's been out of the lineup for a bit, but he's hitting above 300. Kevin Newman, a 326. Elias Diaz, a 261. But the St. Louis Cardinals also have one of the better bullpens out there in the big leagues with regards to ERA. Guys like Giovanni Gallegos and company getting the job done. Meanwhile, with the Pirates, they don't have too many great long relievers, and I just don't have a lot of faith in them there. So for that reason, we are going to be riding with the St. Louis Cardinals in the spot and this total under. I do think that the Cardinals' lack of hitting is going to come back to bite them, and I do think that Ponce de Leon gives a good start. So already locked in the under. With regards to the St. Louis Cardinals, I'm noticing a little bit of steam coming in on the Pirates, so in wait-and-see mode there. 9.53, 9.54 on the bang rotation. The Atlanta Braves head to Milwaukee to face off against the Brewers. Dallas Keuchel goes for the Braves. Meanwhile, Chase Anderson for the Brewers. Your total on this game is 10. The over is just a minus 115. The under is minus 105. This is a pick across the board. Milwaukee Brewers and Atlanta Braves, both minus 105 no matter where you look. And this is just a pitching mismatch right here. I don't know how Chase Anderson and Dallas Keuchel is pick them. Now, Chase Anderson not having a terrible year. 4-2 record, 427 ERA. Lends himself to a little bit of too much hard contact. Right around 1.4 home runs per nine innings. And you take a look at his most recent couple starts. He's been very steady. All three starts in the month of July, and he's given up two runs and has went less than six innings. Just not a guy that gives you a lot of length in general. And with the Milwaukee Brewers, the long relief pitching with guys like Alex Claudio and company has not been good. Meanwhile, the Atlanta Braves, one of the better bullpens out there in the big leagues, and Dallas Keuchel seems to be really tuning up. 3-2 and record, 3.09 ERA. He's got 32 innings in what I believe is six starts so far, and if you take a look at his recent form, it's pretty darn good. Over his last three starts, he's won seven innings in each of them, giving up two runs or fewer in each, and he's backed up by a lineup that is pretty darn good, and that is all led by Freddie Freeman. Freeman is hitting a little bit above a 300 to go 25 home runs, 74 RBI. You also have Ronald Acuna Jr. at the top line at 14 stolen bases, 23 home runs, 290 average. Ozzy Albies is now hitting at 293. Nick Markakis at 285. Dave Ponce at 17 dingers to go with his 272 average. Josh Johnson has 21 home runs at his 255 average. Austin Riley's at 254, 16 home runs for him. And then you take a look at the Milwaukee Brewers. You certainly do have that man, Christian Yelich. He is hitting a 332, 22 stolen bases, 32 home runs, 68 RBI. Then you've got Yasmani Grandel, Mike Moussakis, 
both supplying some power. A combined 44 home runs between them. Grandal is hitting at 250. Mike Musakis at 265. And then you got Eric Thames, who's hitting at 270. Ben Gamble's hitting at 250. And Ryan Braun, when he's in there, is hitting at 270 as well. Lorenzo Cain has not been what he was last year. Five home runs, 250 average. Big fall off for him. And then you've got Saladino at the shortstop spot, who's doing absolutely nothing. And this is just a spot where I think that the Atlanta Braves completely overwhelmed the Milwaukee Brewers. Chase Anderson probably going to give up two or three runs once again, but I have no faith in that Brewers bullpen. So for that reason, I'm going to wind up taking the Braves on the run line. And I do think that Dallas Keuchel is going to be able to hold down the fort and hold Milwaukee to a small number. So I'm going to play this total under as well. With the Braves run line, currently seeing that at plus 140. Being that this is a pick game, I would like to see a little bit more juice, but certainly would take it if that's the best that I can get. And also I'm waiting to see what on the under. 955-956 on the bang rotation. The Chicago Cubs play host the Cincinnati Reds. Sonny Gray goes for the Reds. You Darvish for the Cubs. This total is off the board since it is a Wrigley Field game, but if you're looking at the Cincinnati Reds, you're going to be getting anywhere between plus 115 and plus 120. If you'd like to lay it with the Cubs, that is anywhere between minus 125 and minus 130. Darvish has actually looked a little bit better in his most recent couple starts. He certainly had a good start coming off the All-Star break against Pittsburgh Pirates, but still just hard to have a lot of faith in him. 2-4 record, 472 ARA. He's giving out 4.4 walks per nine innings. He's given out nearly 1.8 home runs per nine innings. Meanwhile, Sonny Gray, he looked very good in his last start at Coors, giving up one run in over six innings. Five and five record, 342 ERA. Now, I will say, in a lot of his starts, he has been essentially going six innings, giving up three runs. But that has actually turned around ever since the latter part of June. In his last three starts, he's went at least six and a third innings, giving up two runs or fewer in the last three, so he's looked very solid there, and this is a Cubs team that, as we know, it's very well, and it's all led by Javi Baez. Javi Baez, 285 average, 22 home runs for him. Chris Bryant, got to give him a tip of the cap. He does a bit of everything. 18 home runs, 293 average there. Victor Carantini, whenever they need him to be in the lineup, and typically he does wind up catching you, Darvish. He's hitting just below a 300 himself, and then you got to like what Anthony Rizzo is doing as well. 281 average, you go with 19 home runs and 60 RBI. Got a lot of guys that are hitting right in the realm of a 245 to a 255. Albert Armoria Jr., Edison, Russell, and David Bodie all fall in that neighborhood, but then you've got Kyle Schwarber only in a 232, but he certainly has supplied the boom with 20 home runs so far this year. And then Jason Awards hitting nearly a 280 with the Cincinnati Reds. Got quite a few guys that are doing a good job of being able to hit for home runs, but you don't have a lot of average to go along with it. Eugenio Suarez, Jesse Winker, and Joey Votto all in between a 249 and a 260. Now with Eugenio Suarez, he's got 22 home runs, and you got like the way that Yasiel Puig has picked things up. 260 average himself, 22 home runs. Derek Diedrich, he's went deep 20 times, so he's only had two home runs since the beginning of June. He is hitting below a 220. Jose Peraza, though, has his average up to a 236. Kyle Farmer sitting at 245. Nick Senzel at 265. So you certainly have some improving averages with the Cincinnati Reds. And I will say the Chicago Cubs, very good at home, entering into Tuesday 32-17 and 17 on the year. But with the Cincinnati Reds, they are also the top under team out there in the big leagues. They've got a tremendous bullpen. Actually, one that has a similar ERA to that of the Cubs, but it just feels like they've got many more reliable arms. And I do think that Sonny Gray certainly going to be able to outduel 
Hugh Darvish in this spot. So for that reason, going to be riding with the Cincinnati Reds. Total, probably going to be leaning to the under, but on that one, check back in the morning on my Twitter feed at GNR Squirty1 and currently in Wayne Simo to try to see if I can get a better number on the Reds. 957-958 on the bang rotation. The Colorado Rockies play OC San Francisco Giants. Sean Anderson goes for the Giants. John Gray for the Colorado Rockies. Your total on this game, ranging between 13 and 13 and a half. On the 13 and a half, the under is just minus 115. The over is minus 105. On the 13s, the over is between minus 115 and minus 120. Under is between even and minus 105. If you're looking at the Colorado Rockies, you're going to be laying anywhere between minus 165 and minus 175. If you're looking at the plus price with the Giants, anywhere between plus 155 and plus 157. And I do like what I've seen so far this year out of the Colorado Rockies with John Gray. 9-6 record, 383 ERA. He's won 115 innings and has only given up 15 home runs considering the fact that he plays at Coors. That is pretty good. And John Anderson has been pretty reliable himself. He's giving up less than a home run per nine innings. 3-2 and two record, 448 ERA. His biggest weakness is the fact that he hasn't been giving a lot of length in the month of June. He had one start in which he went past the sixth inning, going giving up essentially two and a half runs per start. And then in the month of July, he's given up four runs in each of his first two starts, not going past the fifth in any of those. And with the Colorado Rockies, you do have quite a few trustworthy bullpen arms like Scott Ober. Wade Davis, Cesar Estevez, and company. And with the San Francisco Giants, the bullpen has been a little bit of a woe recently, but you still have guys like Will Smith, Mark Melanson, and they have won the better bullpen ERAs out there in the big leagues. But you got like for the San Francisco Giants, the way that they've been heating up with the bats, I believe that heading into Tuesday, they had scored six runs or more in eight out of their last 12 games. And a lot of it has to do with the fact that Brandon Belt, Pablo Sandoval, and Kevin Pillar all have 11 plus home runs right now. Kevin Pillar's hitting above a 250. Buster Posey, more in the realm of a 260 himself. Pablo Sandoval's hitting a 270. And Austin Dickerson, ever since he's gotten in the fold, he's hitting nearly a 360. Brandon Crawford, for the year, has been too impressive. 240 average with nine home runs. But in this series against the Rockies, he's looking pretty good. Mikey Stremski has his average up to a 240. Joe Panic has been leaving a little bit of something to be desired. But the Giants seem to be playing their best in regards to on the offensive side so far this year. Meanwhile, with the Colorado Rockies, you do have a trio at the top of the lineup that all have 20-plus home runs. Charlie Blackman, Trevor Story, and Nolan Arenado. In the case of Arenado and Blackman, they're both hitting between a 310 and a 320. Ian Desmond sitting at 270. He's really picked things up since a slow start to the year. Daniel Murphy, nearly a 300. Yep, Remy Tapia at 275. And Ryan McMahon sitting at 264 himself. But the one thing that I do look at with the Colorado Rockies is the fact that They have John Gray pitching in much better form right now than Sean Anderson. So for that reason, looking at the Colorado Rockies on the run line and the total under, currently seeing the run line at even juice. And I would like to be able to get a little bit more than that, like a plus price. And with the under, just right now trying to see if I can get a little bit of better juice on under 13 and a half. 9.59, 9.60 on the bang rotation. It is the LA Dodgers on the road facing off against Philadelphia Phillies. Nick Pavetta goes for the Phils. Kenta Maeda for the Dodgers. Your total on this game is 10. The over is just anywhere between minus 110 and minus 120. The under is anywhere between even and minus 110 if you're looking at the Dodgers. Laying anywhere between minus 148 and minus 155. Your plus price with the Phillies. Anywhere between plus 138 and plus 140. We saw the Philadelphia Phillies really get to Walker Buehler yesterday, so obviously a good sign there. But with the LA Dodgers, this is a team that certainly does have a lot of bats that are firing all cylinders, and they're going to be facing a guy, Nick Pavetta, that he actually went six innings not giving up a run the last time he faced the Dodgers, but I think that was a flash in the pan. Form four record, 581 ERA, 
66 and two-thirds innings. He's given up 16 home runs and 21 walks. That certainly is not good, and he just has not had too many good starts in general so far this year. Kenta Maeda, 7-6 record, 3.82 ERA. I've got to say he's been pretty consistent, as in each of his last five starts, he's given up anywhere between two and three runs, so nothing great, nothing awful with him. And the Dodgers, they've got a decent bullpen. Guys like Emi Garcia, Caleb Ferguson are starting to get the job done, and with the Philadelphia Phillies, just hard to trust in. Guys like Hector Neris, J.D. Hammer and company, and with the L.A. Dodgers, we all know about that man, Cody Bellinger, going into Tuesday. 341 batting average. He has went deep 33 times. It has been absolutely amazing what he's been able to do for this team. A.J. Pollock is back off the injured list, and he is now starting to find it with the Dodgers. I will say that Kike Hernandez and Austin Barnes both hitting below a 230 is a little bit of a woe, but you've got Alex Verdugo hitting above a 300. Josh Turner is hitting right in the realm of a 295. David Fries is hitting above a 300. Max Muncy has a 270 batting average. He's went deep 25 times so far this year. Corey Seager's hitting nearly a 275. Then you take a look at the flip side for the Philadelphia Phillies. Bryce Harper certainly doing a decent job for this team. 256 average, go of 17 home runs, but they're paying this guy to be a little bit more than decent. You've been getting a little bit out of Scott Kingery as well. He's now hitting a 290 to go with 13 home runs. Cesar Hernandez hitting a little bit above a 280 as well. Reese Hoskins has been supplying the boom as well, though he seems to be in a little bit of a slump with regards to home runs. 265 average, 20 home runs for him. Jay Bruce has went deep a grand total of 24 times between the Phillies and the Seattle Mariners, but his batting average for the year only had 230. JT Riamuto is hitting a 270 along with Brad Miller, but ever since Andrew McCutcheon went down with an injury, the Philadelphia Phillies offense has not been the same, and I do think that the Dodgers are going to get a decent start out of Kenta Maeda, and I do think that they are going to absolutely rock Nick Bavetta. So for that reason, going to be looking at this total over and the Dodgers on the run line. Currently seeing a run line price hovering between minus 105 and minus 110. Would like to be able to get a little bit of even juice if not a plus price, but we'll certainly be taking that one way or the other and just looking to see if I can get a little bit of a better number on the under. 961-962 on the batting rotation. The Miami Marlins play OC San Diego Padres. Chris Paddock goes for the pods. Meanwhile, Trevor Richards on the bump for the fish. Your total on this game is 7.5. Under is just anywhere between minus 115 and minus 120. The over is anywhere between even and minus 105. If you're looking at the Marlins, your plus price is anywhere between plus 140 and plus 145. If you'd like to lay it with the Padres, it's anywhere between minus 152 and minus 155. Chris Paddock has looked very good ever since coming back from his stint at AAA. Meanwhile, Trevor Richards, one of the least profitable pitchers out there in the big leagues. If you bet $100 on him in every one of his starts so far this year, he's a bottom 10 pitcher in regards to return on investment because he's got a 3-10 record. Hasn't necessarily pitched awful. He's given up a little bit under 1.2 home runs per nine innings, 4.18 ERA, but you take a look at the recent form, it's not necessarily good. Gave up four runs in five innings in his last start against the Atlanta Braves. And for that matter, in four out of his last five starts, he's given up at least three earned runs. He has not made it past the sixth inning in any of them. Meanwhile, Mr. Paddock for the year, 5-4 and four record, 284 ERA. Those numbers are a little bit irrelevant just because he did have that stint at AAA. In his last start, he went five and two-thirds innings, not giving up a single run to the LA Dodgers. If you take a look, ever since June 11th, in his four most recent starts, he's given up three runs or fewer in every one of them, and he has looked very impressive in those. And with the Padres, you do have a couple guys that are doing a great job of being able to supply some power. Hunter Renfro and Femio Reyes entered into Tuesday with a combined 52 home runs, and then you add in there Manny Machado. He's got 23 
three dingers. He's hitting nearly a 270. Josh Naylor's gotten his average up to a 242, but then you've got a couple guys that are really struggling with the bat. Will Myers, Ian Kinsler, Francisco Mejia, Austin Hedges, all guys hitting a 225 or lower. Manuel Margot only getting a 234 himself. Now I will say, Fernando Tatis Jr. and Eric Hosmer at the top lineup have been terrific. Hosmer, a 280 average. He's driven in over 65 runs. And then Fernando Tatis Jr., nearly a 340 average, 14 home runs, 14 stolen bases. He has an on-base percentage of above 400 as well, but the Miami Marlins seem to be picking things up at the right time. And Brett Anderson, now his 13 home runs so far this year. He's hitting a 250. Sarlon Castro also hitting a 250, though he's not drawing any walks whatsoever to save his life. Cesar Puello hitting a 282 for the year, though he's been a little bit cold with the Miami Marlins. Miguel Roas and Harold Ramirez are both hitting above a 290, and then you got Garrett Cooper hitting above a 300. You got like that Jorge Alfaro sitting at 275 with a little bit of pop himself. Some of the guys out there in the outfield are not holding up their end of the bargain. Rosell Herrera, Curtis Granderson, Austin Dean, and JT Riddle all hitting below a 220. And then you got Yadio Rivera in the infield who's barely hitting above the Mendoza line, which is 200, by the way. So that certainly has not been going well for them, but the Miami Marlins have been generating a little bit more offense, though I will say, Paddock, ever since coming off the injured list, has looked pretty good, and Trevor Richards, just been a tough luck loser all year long. So for that reason, locking in the Padres with this price, that is all good to go, and with this over, I'm currently in Wayne Seymour, I'm noticing that the number is continuing to dip lower and lower, so I'm going to be playing the over just in Wayne Seymour there. I've already locked in the Padres, though. 963-964 on the bank rotation, the Oakland A's play also the Seattle Mariners. For the Seattle Mariners, it's good old to be decided. And it's going to be Homer Bailey going on the bump for the Oakland A's, which means that this game is currently off the board because we have no earthly idea what the Mariners are going to do. With Homer Bailey, he comes over from Kansas City. He actually looked pretty good so far this year, especially in recent form. He's got a 7-6 record, 480 ERA, which is not necessarily ideal, but he's giving up right around one home run per nine innings. And you take a look at his stats ever since the beginning of June. He's had just one start in which he's given up more than three earned runs ever since June 7th, so things are going well there. And he had a three-start stint in the month of June in which he gave up zero or one run in all three of them. So that went well with the Seattle Mariners. I scoured Twitter to see who they might be starting, and still no earthly idea, which means that all we know is that the Oakland A's are probably going to be able to have a little bit of a field day with them because, as we know, the Seattle Mariners bullpen certainly has not been nailed so far this year. And with the Oakland A's, I do like what they've been showing out of the bullpen, even if Homer Bailey doesn't necessarily give an ideal start in his first time out with Blake Tryon, Luke Trevino, and company all firing on all cylinders. And what else is firing on all cylinders? The Oakland A's lineup as Marcus Simeon, Matt Chapman at the top lineup, both hitting a 270 or greater. Chapman, 21 home runs. Marcus Simeon, 14. You also have a bunch of guys that have between 16 and 18 home runs for this team. Chris Davis, Matt Olson, Ramon Loreno, all in that neighborhood. With Matt Olson and Mark Hanna, they're both hitting a 255. Chris Davis only a 235, been a little bit of a struggle for him, but Ramon Loreno, 266 average right there. The catcher spot in general has been good for the team. Guys like Hermison and Jeff Feigley and company have all been able to step up and do a good job. Meanwhile, with the Seattle Mariners, you got to like what you're seeing out of Domingo Santana. He's got 19 home runs to go with 64 RBI and a 283 average. J.P. Crawford is cooling down a little bit, but he's still hitting 
Just below 270, D. Gordon, one of the best base stealers in the majors, along with Malik Smith. These guys had a combined 41 stolen bases going into Tuesday's action. And then you've also got Daniel Vogelback, who has seen a big dip in his average of 239, but he's on base percentage, still right around a 370, 21 home runs for him. But then you've got the guys that are really struggling with the bats. Kyle Seeger. Dylan Moore, Mac Williamson, all these guys hitting below a 230 at this point. And Omar Navarez and Thomas Murphy at the catcher spot combined for the third most home runs at that spot in the big leagues. But I just don't know who the Seattle Mariners could trot out there that can make me want to look at them instead of the Oakland A's. The A's have been one of the better teams in the majors recently, winning 18 out of their last 24 games. So early lean here is to the Oakland A's and the total to be determined by the pitchers. So check back in the morning on my Twitter feed at GNRScore81 for set plays there. As we move on to 965-966 on the bank rotation, the New York Yankees going to be playing host the Tampa Bay Rays. Yoni Chirinos goes for the Rays. Meanwhile, Domingo Herman for the Yankees. Your total on this game, ranging between 9.5 and, and 10. On the 9.5, the over has juice of minus 120. The under is even if you're looking at the 10s. The under is minus 115. The over is minus 105. If you're looking at the Rays, going to be getting anywhere between plus 135 and plus 147. If you'd like to lay it with the Yankees, you're going to be laying anywhere between minus 147 and minus 157. And this is a spot where I certainly do have to take a look at the New York Yankees. Yoni Chirinos has been pretty darn good so far this year, but Domingo Amran, ever since coming off the injury list, certainly has been the real deal for this team. He is giving up a little bit over 1.4 home runs per nine innings, but an 11-2 record is certainly an 11-2 record. In his two starts in the month of July, he's given up a combined one earned run in 12 innings, so that has certainly been encouraging, and Chirinos has seen all but three of his starts go under. In his first 11 starts, 10 of them went under 8-4 record, 3-11 ERA. He does have a problem giving up home runs right around 1.4 per 9 innings, but he does a good job of limiting the walks. Less than 2 per 9 innings. Not necessarily a swing and miss guy, and that could come back to bite him because the New York Yankees certainly do have their mashers. Gary Sanchez is hitting just above a 240, but he's got 24 home runs so far this year. Luke Voigt has come off the injured list, and he's been supplying a spark as well. He's hitting above a 270. He has went deep 17 times. you got to like the fact that DJ LeMay, who's hitting above a 330. You've got Gio Urshela and Cameron Maben both hitting above a 300, and Aaron Judge falling right in that neighborhood as well. D.J. Gregorius hasn't necessarily been nailed so far this year ever since coming off the injured list, but he's still doing a good job of being able to provide. He's hitting right around a 250. Aaron Nix and Brett Gardner both have seen their averages climb. Aaron Nix now hitting more of a 240. Brett Gardner in the realm of a 250. And Gleyber Torres certainly has been a constant so far this year. 290 average. He has 19 home runs. Edwin Encarnacion only in a 223, but he has 28 home runs, so he's certainly been supplying the power there. And then with the Tampa Bay Rays, Travis Arno has just gotten unearthly hot. He had three home runs in the game on Monday. He's now got his batting average right around at 250. And then with Tommy Pham, Yandy Diaz, Avisail Garcia, and Austin Meadows, all these guys are hitting in between a 278 and a 292 with 13 to 16 home runs, all very comparable players. Kevin Kiermaier hitting a 250 for this team, William Adamas at 243, and then got like that way that Mark Brasseau has hit ever since coming up to the big leagues. Not trying too many walks, but 356 average, so certainly has been a good contributor there. And with the Tampa Bay Rays, you do have a solid bullpen, but with the New York Yankees, you also have so many guys like Adam Adovino, Tommy Canely, Zach Britton. I know that a role as Chapman blew a save a couple days ago, but all in all, he's been very solid as well. So for that reason, going to be looking at the New York Yankees in the spot and the total under. I do think that Torino's 
under streak gets going once again. And with this total under, I am currently in Wayne Simo because we're noticing that the juice is ranging between 9.5 and, and 10. So we'd like to be able to get a little bit of better juice on under 10. And with the Yankees, currently Wayne Simo as well, seeing a little bit of steam coming in on the Rays. 967-968 on the banging rotation. The Toronto Blue Jays hit the road to face off against the Boston Red Sox. Eduardo Rodriguez goes for the Boston Red Sox. Aaron Sanchez for the Toronto Blue Jays. Your total on this game is 11. Under is just a minus 115. The over is minus 105. If you're looking at the Red Sox, laying anywhere between minus 250 and minus 270. The plus price with the Toronto Blue Jays, anywhere between plus 210 and plus 225. And Aaron Sanchez has just been absolutely awful. Among all starting pitchers out there in Major League Baseball, he is the third least profitable. He has not pitched well in any of his recent starts. 3-13 record, 6.22 ERA. He's only given up about 1.3 home runs per 9 innings, but that's all the good that could be said for him because he's given up over 5 walks per 9 innings. Meanwhile, you take a look at Rodriguez. He does have a 4.43 ERA, but his fielding independent is more around a 3-5, record, 109 and two-thirds innings. He's got 116 strikeouts, given up right around 1.35 home runs per 9 innings, and I like the way that he's looked recently. And his two starts in the month of July, a combined 12 innings has given up one run in each of them. Heck, even in that weird start in London, he only gave up two runs of five in a third innings. He really hasn't gotten blown up too badly recently, and he is backed up by a lineup that can certainly blow people up, and it's all led off by Rafael Devers. He's got a batting average above a 320, 17 home runs for him, Xander Bogarts, and J.D. Martinez in the middle of the lineup. Both have been very solid with Bogarts. He entered into Tuesday's action, hitting above a 300, 20 home runs. J.D. Martinez certainly has been supplying a little bit of power as well. He is hitting just above a 290. He's got 19 home runs. Andrew Benatendi is hitting nearly a 270. Mookie Betts a 280. Christian Vasquez a 295. Eduardo Nunez and Jackie Bradley Jr. need to pick it up. They're both hitting a 230, but Brock Holt hitting nearly a 335. Michael Chavis has went deep over 15 times. He's hitting a 260 as well. Then you take a look at the Toronto Blue Jays. They certainly were able to get all aboard Andrew Kasher yesterday, but you got a lot of guys that have between 14 and 16 home runs that aren't providing a great average. The guys have fallen to this neighborhood, Randall Gritchick, Justin Smoke, Rowdy Telez have right around 15 to 16 home runs, and they're all hitting below a 240. Lords Guriel has 16 dingers himself, but he's hitting more around a 290, and Freddie Galvis in that neighborhood as well, hitting a 272. Eric Sogard hitting a 300 is very nice, but Vlad Guerrero Jr. winning at a 243 with eight home runs is very underwhelming, and then you've got a bunch of other guys with bad batting averages. Teoscar Hernandez, Billy McKinney, Brandon Drury, and just a catcher spot in general. All guys are in 220 or lower. And I do think the Boston Red Sox are going to get a very good start out of Rodriguez. And I think that they're just going to club the Toronto Blue Jays in the spot. So for that reason, going to be taking the Red Sox on the run line. Currently seeing that run line price at minus 135. Like to lay a little bit less juice there. And I am going to be taking the total under. Certainly not looking to lay minus 115. Would like to be able to lay a little bit less juice if possible. So we are going to be looking at both of those as we move on to 969-970 on the batting rotation. The Cleveland Indians play host the Detroit Tigers. Spencer Turnbull goes for the Tigers. Mike Clevenger for the Indians. Your total on this game is 9. Overs anywhere between minus 115 and minus 110. The unders anywhere between minus 110 and minus 105. If you're looking at the Indians, going to be laying anywhere between minus 240 and minus 260. Meanwhile, the plus price on the Tigers... Anywhere between plus $2 and plus $2.20. And Spencer Turnbull just did not look right in his first start coming off the injured list. The start before that, he got yanked after two innings. So 
Certainly things not going well there. And Mike Clevenger certainly had his down a few weeks ago when he gave up seven runs in less than two innings to the Cleveland Indians. But ever since then, he's been able to right the ship. He's right now giving up less than a home run per nine innings in 29 and a third innings, by the way. 46 strikeouts. So he's been doing a great job there. His two starts in the month of July. Combined 11 innings. He's given up just one earned run. So he looks to be getting right. Meanwhile, with Turnbull, he's giving up right around one home run per nine innings. He's been a very solid pitcher all year long. Three and eight record. 359 ERA. Just a guy that's getting no run support whatsoever, but seeing his start against the Kansas City Royals where he didn't make it to the fourth inning certainly was concerning. And with the Detroit Tigers, their bullpen certainly has been lacking and something that has not been lacking, the bats of the Cleveland Indians. They have come alive and it's all let off by Francisco Lindor. He's hitting a 290 at the top of the lineup. He's went deep 14 times so far this year. Gotta like the way that Carlos Santana is supplying the boom as well. Hitting just below 300 to go, 21 home runs. Orlando Mercado has his average right around a 280. Mike Freeman has been doing a good job whenever he's been out there in the full journey. Luplo is hitting right around a 250. And then you've got Taylor Naquin, who's hitting a 270 himself. With the Cleveland Indians, you're also getting something out of Roberto Perez, 16 home runs of his own. He's hitting above a 250. And then you got a couple guys that are lighting the team down with the bat. Jose Ramirez is only hitting a 230, but it seems to be actually improving. Jason Kipnis still hitting a 240 himself, and Jake Bowers a 240. But all in all, things look to be really rounding in a form for them. And the Detroit Tigers, well, you don't have a lot of power in general on this team. Jody Mercer was able to hit a pair of home runs on Monday, which was obviously a good sign, but he's still hitting a 211. Jaimir Candelario, Roddy Rodriguez, Grayson Griner, Wilson at the catcher spot. All these guys are hitting a 220 or lower, along with Gordon Beckham. Victor Reyes is hitting a 275, which is nice. Hero Castro, nearly a 320. And Nick Castellanos, a 280. And then you got Miguel Cabrera, 292 average. But where's the power coming from? Right now, their top home run hitter is Brandon Dixon, who's hitting a 245 to go with 12 home runs. You've also got Christian Seward and Nico Goodrum, both hitting between a 238 and a 245. So you're just not getting a whole lot there. And with the Cleveland Indians, you got the top open ERA out there in the big leagues. I think they're certainly going to be able to shut down the Detroit Tigers, but I do think that they're going to be able to hit Turnbull in this one, and I do think that they're going to get into that bullpen. So going to be taking the Indians on the run line. Currently seeing that at minus 130, and Wayne Seymour there would like to lay a little bit less juice, and the total over. I'm right now seeing money coming in on the under, so certainly waiting on that as well. 971-972 on the bang rotation. The Kansas City Royals play host the Chicago White Sox. Yvonne Supernova goes for the White Sox. Danny Duffy for the Kansas City Royals. 12 in this game is 10.5. Under is anywhere between minus 110 and minus 115. The over is anywhere between minus 105 and minus 110. If you're looking at the White Sox, could be getting a plus price here. Anywhere between plus 105 and plus 115. If you'd like to lay it with the Kansas City Royals, you're going to be laying anywhere between minus 120 and minus 125. Ever since the All-Star break, the White Sox have been struggling with the bat, but I still have a little bit more faith in them than in the Kansas City Royals because when you take a look at Danny Duffy, things have not gone well from recently. He had a couple very good starts to begin the year, but he's now 3-5 and five with a 464 ERA. You take a look at his starts ever since the month of June. He's given up fewer than three earned runs in just one of them. Meanwhile, with Ivan Nova, sure, things do not look very good. In 106 innings, he's given up 22 home runs. That is obviously rough. That is just below two home runs per nine innings, but he did give a very good start coming out of the All-Star break against the Chicago Cubs. 
He wound up giving up no runs in five and two-thirds innings there. You take a look ever since the month of June. He's given up four earned runs or fewer in every one of those starts. He does a good job of limiting the walks. Meanwhile, Danny Duffy is giving up nearly four walks per nine innings. And he, too, has a problem with the long ball, giving up over 1.4 home runs per nine innings. And with the White Sox, you do have Jose Abreu in the middle of the lineup. He's hitting above a 270, 21 home runs for him. 66 RBI. Yoan Mankata has went deep 16 times going into Tuesday. He's batting above a 300. James McCann also has his batting average above a 300. Loris Garcia hitting nearly a 290 himself. Now you do have a couple guys that are really struggling with the bat. Yonder Alonso, Wellington Castillo, AJ Reed, Daniel Polka. All in that neighborhood, but most of these guys have been relegated out of the lineup. Charlie Tilson hitting at 232 is a little bit brutal, along with Ryan Cordell, but Yomer Sanchez has his average right around at 245, along with Eloy Jimenez, and Eloy Jimenez has went deep 17 times. John Jay hitting well above a 300 as well. And then you take a look at the Kansas City Royals. Well, they certainly have their famine bats as well. Bubba Starlin, Cam Gallagher, Billy Hamilton, Ryan O'Hearn, Chris Owings. These are all guys earning a 225 or lower. Hunter Dozier just has not been providing a lot of pop ever since getting off the injured list. He, Alex Gordon, and Chester Cuthbert laying between a 275 and a 288. Adalberto Alberto Mondesi is leading the league in regards to stolen bases, hitting a 270 himself. And Whit Merrifield hitting above a 300 is nice. You have Jorge Soler in the middle of the lineup that's able to provide the boom. 245 average go 25 home runs, but it is very much a top-heavy lineup. You've got Nicky Lopez hitting a 240 as well. And the White Sox bullpen impresses me a lot more as well. Guys like Evan Marshall, Aaron Bummer have been doing a very good job. Meanwhile, with the Kansas City Royals, Ian Kennedy and Jake Diekman actually have been decent. But whenever you have to get into long relief, which I think might be the case with Danny Duffy, Things are just absolutely brutal. So for that reason, I've already locked in the plus price with the Chicago White Sox. And I'm going to be taking this total under, seeing a little bit of steam coming in on the over. So I'm in wait and see mode there, but we're going to be riding out both of those. As we're on to 973-974 on the bang rotation, the Houston Astros are going to be taking on the LA Angels in the state of California. It is going to be Garrett Cole going for the Houston Astros. Meanwhile, the LA Angels have good old to be announced on the board, which means that this game is currently off the board. I am seeing on Twitter that really nobody has any idea who the LA Angels are going to be going with, but what I do know is that Garrett Cole has been doing a great job of getting punch-outs. He is averaging over 13 strikeouts per nine innings, 323 ERA, 9-5 record. He does also have an issue giving up home runs, though. He's giving up more than 1.6 home runs per nine innings. That's really been his main bugaboo. In his last start against the Texas Rangers, he was able to get 13 strikeouts in six innings, but he gave up four runs at the process. And I will say, against the LA Angels, he certainly has been having a good time of it in his last start. He wound up going six strong innings, not giving up a single run there. And the Houston Astros do have a pretty good bullpen, but with the LA Angels, you do have a lot of bats that are really firing on all cylinders. We know that Mike Trout is currently dealing with an injury, but... That just means that you've got guys like Shohei Otani, Daniel Fletcher and company being able to step up. Both these guys hitting right around a 300. Kevin Martin, whenever he's out there in the fold, he's been hitting nearly a 300 as well. Albert Pools and Cole Calhoun, both hitting between a 235 and a 240. But with Cole Calhoun, he supplied 21 home runs. Albert Pools has went deep 14 times himself. You've also got like that Andrelton Simmons is off the injured list. He's hitting nearly a 290. He does a good job with his speed as well. Justin Upton since coming off the injured list is hitting a 270. And Brian Goodwin at 275 himself. And then you even have Luis Rangifo hitting a 265. And then with the Houston Astros, George Springer and Jose Altuve seem to be finally getting the rust off after they spent so much time on the injured list. But Michael Brantley has been a concept for them all year long, hitting nearly a 325. 
Jordan Alvarez is getting a home run every 10 and a half at bats to go with a 340 batting average. Yuri Gurriel has been white hot the past month. They didn't get 295, 16 home runs for him. But then you've got a couple guys that are needing to pick it up as well. Tony Kemp, Tyler White, and Max Stassi all in below a 235. You do have to like Jake Marizic and the center field that he's able to play. And he is hitting right around at 243. Nothing great, but nothing awful. He's more out there for his defense. But I do think that this is a spot where there might be a little bit of value on this over just because Garrett Cole is prone to giving up the home run ball, even if Mike Trout does not play, which I'm thinking that that's going to be what happens in this spot. But certainly going to be leaning over and to the Houston Astros. And that is mostly because the LA Angels do not have great bullpen pitching. They've been pitching above their skis recently ever since the unfortunate tragedy of Tyler Skaggs. But that's bound to come to earth eventually. But in this spot, going to be looking at the Astros and this over. But as always, check back in the morning on my Twitter feed at GNRSCordy1 once a line is posted. 975-976 on the bang rotation. The Minnesota Twins play also the New York Mets. Jason Vargas goes for the Mets. Martin Perez for the Minnesota Twins. Your total on this game is 10.5. Over is anywhere between minus 110 and minus 115. The under is anywhere between minus 110 and minus 105. If you're looking at the Mets, you're going to be getting a very nice plus price here. Anywhere between plus 147 and plus 152. Meanwhile, if you'd like to lay it with the Twins, anywhere between minus 160 and minus 165. And it seems as though regression has set in for Jason Vargas. He has been getting shelled recently. And with the Minnesota Twins, I also do think that regression is in for Martin Perez. 8-3 record for him, but his ERA is now hovering right around a 4-2-5. He is still giving up less than a home run per nine innings, so he has certainly been doing a good job of being able to limit that. But over his last five starts, in four of them, he's given up four earned runs. The other one he wound up giving up to him with Jason Vargas. 3-5 record, 423 RA. Since coming off the injured list, he had been pretty good, but his two starts in the month of July, giving up nine runs in 11 and a third innings. In the month of June, he was actually very sensational. Gave up three runs or fewer in every one of them, but I do think that this is just a spot where he has just pretty much pitched to his full potential, and he's also given up quite a few walks right around four per nine innings. And with the Minnesota Twins, this is a team that certainly has their bashers on the team. Max Kepler entered into Tuesday's action, hitting nearly a 265 to go with 23 home runs. You've got Jorge Polanco hitting nearly a 320 for this bunch as well. Then you take a look at just some of the other guys. Mitch Carver is hitting just below a 300 double-digit on of home runs there. Nelson Cruz, 17 dingers. He's hitting above a 280. Eddie Rosario has been doing a terrific job in all aspects of baseball. 20 home runs for him. He's hitting nearly a 280. Luis Arreas ever since getting called up to the major league level, has been hitting over a 380. It's been absolutely amazing to see what he's been able to do. Then you got guys like Jason Castro, Jonathan Scope, and Byron Buxton hitting between a 260 and a 270. Marwan Gonzalez now hitting above a 260 after a really rough start to the year. And then CJ Crone has been hitting a 270. He's provided his home runs as well. And then you have to like for the New York Mets that Jeff McNeil is hitting a 350 for this bunch. He has been very good at the top of the lineup. And then Pete Alonso has been not hitting home runs really since the home run derby, but he's still hitting a 275, 30 home runs for him. Michael Conforto hitting nearly a 245, but he certainly has supplied some power as well with 17 home runs. Robinson Cano has his average up to a 250 along with Todd Frazier. J.D. Davis is hitting a 280 amid Rosario, more around a 265. And then you also have Dominic Smith hitting a 290, but I do think that the Minnesota Twins are going to get a decent start out of Martin Perez, and I do think that they're going to get to Jason Vargas in this spot. Certainly think that both these starters give up some runs, but we know that the Twins have a far superior bullpen to that of the 
New York Mets, and I think the Mets bullpen is just going to be bleeding in this one. So for that reason, going to be taking the Twins on the run line and the over. With the Twins run line currently seeing plus 115, I've already locked it in. With the over, would like to see if I'm able to get a little bit more favorable juice, or perhaps even a 10, since I am noticing that this is a number that is moving a little bit, but in wait and see mode there. 977, 978 on the bang rotation. It is Washington Nationals on the road facing off against the Baltimore Orioles. Eric Fetty goes for the Washington Nationals. Aaron Brooks on the bump for the Baltimore Orioles. I'm pretty sure it was the Orioles that had not decided on a starter until the evening on Tuesday. So for that reason, this game currently off the board. And we saw with the Baltimore Orioles when Aaron Brooks made his first start, they took the wholesale approach. He wound up going two and two-thirds innings, did not give up a single run. And when he was with the Oakland A's earlier this year, he had an ERA above a six. When he was starting in 53 innings, he's given up 12 home runs. That's right around 1.8 home runs per nine innings. Does a good job of limiting the walks. But then with Eric Fetty, it's been a while since he started, but he has certainly limited the hard contact as well. Right around 1.2 home runs per nine innings. He has a 379 ERA. He hasn't pitched since June 20th, and even when he did, he wasn't giving great length. He was going about five to six innings at nearly all of his starts, but we have seen the Washington Nationals bullpen performing much, much better recently, and they do have their bats really firing on all cylinders, and it's all let off by Anthony Rendon and Juan Soto. Both these guys have their on-base percentage between a 395 and a 403. In the case of Soto, 17 home runs for him, a 300 batting average. Anthony Rendon, 20 home runs, 312 average. Trey Turner and Adam Eaton both hitting 220 at the top lineup, and Trey Turner led the league in stolen bases last year. Matt Adams and Ryan Zimmerman are both hitting in the realm of a 235 along with a Brian Dozier, but Ryan Zimmerman has looked better ever since coming off the injured list. Jan Gomes and Michael A. Taylor are both hitting below a 225, which hurts, but it seems as though Howie Kendrick is starting to get into some pitch hitting roles. He seems to be starting to come back. He's hitting above a 330. Victor Robles is hitting a 250 himself, and with Matt Adams, even though his batting average is right around a 235, he doesn't walk a lot. He does have 14 home runs so far this year. Meanwhile, with the Baltimore Orioles, Hanser Alberto has been a pretty good piece. He's hitting above a 300 for this bunch, but then you've got a lot of guys that are leaving something to be desired. Dwight Smith Jr., Chris Davis, Keon Broxson, Richie Martin, all these guys, including C.V. Wilkerson, are hitting a 230 or lower, and Rio Ruiz only hitting a 235 himself. Now, I will say, Renato Nunes doing a good job of supplying some power. 245 average, 21 home runs for him. Jonathan VR is hitting a 260. Trey Bumu Mancini has been slowing down a little bit, but he's got 17 home runs, 282 average, and Chan Sisko hitting nearly a 260 himself, and Anthony Santander closer to a 265. But I think that this is a spot where the Washington Nationals should certainly overwhelm the Baltimore Orioles. Wholesale approach worked for them the last time they tried it out there, Aaron Brooks, but with the Baltimore Orioles, one of the worst bullpens out there in the big leagues, and unlike the Washington Nationals, it certainly has not been improving. So early leans on this game, Washington Nationals run line. If we're seeing a total of like 11 or 12, I might be looking at an under. If you're seeing more of a total of a 9.5 or 10, going to be looking over, but that is one that you're going to have to check back in the morning on my Twitter feed at GNRSquared1 for plays for because this game is currently off the board. And we wrap things up with 979-980 on the bank rotation. The Texas Rangers play us the Arizona Diamondbacks. Robbie Ray goes for the D-backs. Jesse Chavez for the Texas Rangers. Total in this game is 10 to 10.5. On the 10s, the over has juice anywhere between minus 115 and only minus 115 as the under is minus 105 on the 10.5s. Under is anywhere between minus 115 and minus 120. Over is between even and minus 105. If you're looking at the Arizona Diamondbacks, going to be laying anywhere between minus 118 and minus 120. The plus price with the Texas Rangers anywhere between plus 105 and plus 110. Jesse Chavez had a couple quality starts for the 
Texas Rangers towards the beginning of the year, but things seem to be waning there. Meanwhile, with Robbie Ray, he has certainly been up and down, and he's got his walks issues. He's giving up 4.5 walks per nine innings, but he does have a 7-6 record, 381 ERA. He's doing a good job of getting strikeouts right around 11 per nine innings. If you take a look at his most recent couple starts, they've been pretty good. In his two starts in the month of July, has won at least six innings in each of them, giving up one earned run. Now in the month of June, he had just one start in which he gave up fewer than three runs, so it is a case of which Robbie Ray is the real Robbie Ray. And for Jesse Chavez, he's got a 384 ERA. He's giving up in the neighborhood of 1.4 home runs per nine innings. And you take a look at his most recent couple starts, They are not good. He has two starts in the month of July. He has given up a combined 10 runs. If you take a look to his last start in the month of June, gave up three runs in six innings against the Tampa Bay Rays. And with the Texas Rangers, you certainly do have a couple guys who are letting something to be desired with the bats. Tim Fedorowicz, Ronald Guzman, Runed Odor, Tim Fedorowicz, and Jeff Mathis, all guys that are hitting a 230 or lower, and you can actually throw in there Azurbo Cabrera into the fold as well. But then you've got Joey Gallo, who's been doing a tremendous job for this team all year long, entering into Tuesday. He was hitting right in the realm of a 270 to a 275, 21 home runs for him. Danny Santana and Sin Chu Chu have been doing a nice job of getting on base as well. Danny Santana hitting in the realm of a 300 and then Sin Chu Chu a 290. Elvis Andrews has also done a nice job of being able to get on base. He's hitting nearly a 300, and then you've got Noah Mazzara actually leading the team with RBI. 260 batting average, and his RBI count is above a 50 right now, so that has obviously been helpful. And for the Arizona Diamondbacks, you've got some great balance on this lineup, and it's all led off by Cattell Marte and Eduardo Escobar. These two gentlemen have a combined 40 home runs. Eduardo Escobar hitting at 292, Cattell Marte a 310. Jake Lamb has been struggling a little bit since coming off the injured list, but it seems like things are coming back for him. Alex Avila and Kevin Corona are both hitting below a 220, but Tim LaCastro, whenever he's out there in the outfield, he's hitting right around a 245 along with Ildiermo Vargas, and then you also have Gerard Dyson at the top lineup. He's hitting at 250, but is one of the top base sealers out there in baseball. Nick Amad is hitting at 270, and then Adam Jones and Christian Walker both hitting in the realm of a 265, and Christian Walker has went deep 19 times as well. Something else I do notice is that Robbie Ray is a lefty, and when it comes to batting averages against left-handed Pitchers, the Texas Rangers, second worst out there in the MLB. That is certainly an issue for this team. They certainly do have some power, but Robbie Ray does a good job of being able to limit the long ball. The Texas Rangers certainly have an improved bullpen, but the Arizona Diamondbacks are getting something now, finally, out of guys like Greg Holland and company, but I do think that they are going to get to Jesse Chavez, and they're really going to push this total over. So, going to be looking at the Diamondbacks on the run line. Currently seeing that at plus 125. would like to be able to get a little bit of a better number there, and this over. Just looking to see what kind of juice I'm going to be able to get on this over since the number is moving around quite a bit. And that will do it for the Wednesday edition of MLB Overtime Betting. A big thanks to our man Curtis Rogers out there with 710 ESPN in Seattle for joining me in the last segment. If you like what you're hearing from this fine podcast, you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, and Stitcher. If you ever have a question for the podcast, feel free to tweet it in at GUNNRSGRADY1. Let's make today a successful, profitable, and fun one. I'll talk to you guys once again tomorrow. Thank you so much for tuning in.